and welcome to another episode of Stoke Meter. And I am so excited to have an old friend on the show, Elizabeth Nieto. Now, Elizabeth and I worked at Citigroup years ago. I was introduced to her by another friend, Michelle Zellin. You remember Michelle? <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic individual. But the it's awesome to see the progression of, of Elizabeth's career. At present, she is, I'm going to read this, the global head of equity and impact at Spotify. And this was after a stint as in a similar role at Amazon. I mean, you've been going crazy here. <laughs> I've been busy. I've been busy. That's for sure. <laughs> you have. And every time that I, I speak to you, you can hear the smile on your face. And that's what I absolutely love because it always is a, uh, it's evidence of someone who loves what they do. And I'm just wondering, what can you tell us about equity and impact? Oh, let's start from the very big picture. So equity and impact, in the case of Spotify, we brought together three areas that we thought had an opportunity to be aligned. One is the diversity, inclusion, and belonging team and the work around that. The second one is social impact with other companies will call corporate social responsibility and then sustainability. So the work that we do as a broad team is looking for opportunities to what we call supercharging our communities of creators, our listeners, and our planet. And, and by doing that, creating more a culture of inclusion internal and external. So we look at ourselves as uh, the way that we show up in the market, the way that uh, we live our values externally, but also the way we live our values internally. So, so we're, we're just a new team of these three teams uh, brought together seven months ago, and we're going through the interesting conversations of determining the strategy and how we fit in the full um, Spotify and, and, you know, what do we think about the work that we do for creators, for our listeners and for our employees. So we're super excited to be doing this work together as a team and, and moving forward in Spotify. Um, there, the, you know, the agenda of being the place where millions of creators uh, can connect with billions of um, users or listeners. And we are a direct benefactor of that. Uh, as I was saying earlier, we utilize a Spotify product uh, through Anchor. So, <laughs> so but again, it's a, it was a way to democratizing the word, the listened word, because it now allows people that may not have a full studio to be able to create their podcasts or be able to create their stories and tell their stories. So, so that's what's fascinating about you know how Spotify had really evolve from a place of streaming music to a place where creators can bring uh, their, their best purpose and, 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 and products. It's fantastic. And I didn't realize that it was only seven months that uh, they started uh, the, the Equity Impact initiative there. Uh, 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 as a combined group. So there yeah. was a diversity and inclusion group, there was a social impact group and sustainability, but but now rethinking how, uh, how we align all these three portfolios, that's the work that I came to do seven months ago. Gotcha. So the stuff you're talking about sounds very, I, I, I don't know, how, how would you describe it for a guy just walking down the street? 
Like, this is what I do for Spotify. Because it sounds amazing and some really cool words. <laughs> I've been trying to explain these to my mom. And uh, so she goes, like, I, I still don't understand. But, but I, I have to think about, you know, the three portfolios. So when you think about diversity and inclusion, it's um, how do we bring all the different voices to our organization and we create an environment where everybody can thrive, no matter who they are, and they can bring uh, and create in innovative solutions for our users. So that's when we think about social impact, we look at three areas. We look at social uh, and responsibility media. So how do we help uh, most of our internal employees that want to do something and you know um, may need some support, but we also put um, some things in, um, some of the things that we stand for uh, and we work with other partners in the industry. So like the labels to, to really uh, fulfill that uh, social media responsibility. We also do our giving campaigns. So how we support either the communities or um, crises where we want ourselves as employees and also the company to support uh, those. And then sustainability. We are, we, that's our newest part of the portfolio. And we're working in all our plan of uh, climate change. We just announced. Uh, that we're going to be uh, net zero emissions in a decade. So we're now working very hard with all the tech teams and all the business teams to look at the work that we're going to do um, to to get to net zero in a decade. Earlier than you know, most people uh, think that we can do it, but we will do it. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like it. So well, there's I not gotta, one I... sentence to explain my job. I have to go further. <laughs> well, and it shows the, the dynamic of that job as well. It's just not about the, a little little spectrum. You're, you're, you're talking about a broad range there. So I do have, and it's not meant to be a zinger. And if it is, I, I apologize. But in other, in other uh, podcasts, when we've talked with entrepreneurs, diversity and inclusion inevitably comes up one way or another. And I'm just wondering how... If I was starting to, if I was beginning to put a DNI initiative, diversity and inclusion initiative in my company, how do I go about implementing it in a way that groups don't feel excluded? And and the way the reason I say that, I've seen some disasters <laughs> in my time, like disasters. They use it as a as some some use it as a weapon, uh, and it might not be uh, perceived that way, but certainly once it's implemented, it is. And because that it's a hard, it's a hard, um, it's a, a really a thing, a hard thing to address sometimes. So yeah. I'm just wondering how how do you make sure that true it's truly inclusive, regardless of, of who it might be? Yeah. So and, and this is why uh, this is a difficult conversation. This this is a difficult area, and people have in many ways underestimated the difficulty of this. And I would say that we come to this work through two things. One is the real humanity. So do you really care about making people feel comfortable in an environment where they can create work harder, whatever it is that you do? And, and then the second thing is you need to look at your numbers and you need to look at what your own organization looks like. Because, uh, it, it, it is very interesting when when we think about what are and um, you know who's not represented at the table and this conversation, especially in a global organization, you need to have it all the time. And I remember those 
old days at Citibank, as you said, uh, when we will have this conversation outside the U.S. And people used to say, well, that's a U.S. problem. You people have the problem with race. We don't. And I will sit down in Singapore and I will say, who's missing at this table? You tell me. Who are populations in your organization, in your country, in your society, in education that are not at this table? And if they are not, this is where you have to start doing the work. So I can't tell every single location or every single place what they or every single company what they need to do, but they need to look at their numbers and they need to look at the populations around them. So for me, one of the interesting things about having moved to Seattle is learning uh, of a population of tribes of Native Americans that I have not been exposed before. Mm. So if you are in a place where you have a population of uh, employees or candidates, you need to consider that, that it will be a little bit more difficult if you're sitting in New York where you know that population doesn't exist. So starting from the numbers is the first thing and then seeing where are the gaps. What do you have? Uh, do you be and, and and you know there are the simple things. Gender has always been kind of the one uh, one one area that globally we can talk about. But there are other areas. There are people with disabilities. There are other aspects of our own humanity that are different that we want to have in our organizations and ensure that uh, they're represented because they represent your clients. They represent mm-hmm. your users. They represent the people that you're creating uh, something to for them. So, so that's why um, it is important. And yes, and 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 I would say that um, the last couple of years this has become more of a political issue than, uh, and that's why I want to start with the humanity. I want to start yes. with the person. Uh, I want to go and work or study or in a place that I'm being respected for who I am. And uh, and where I also want people to know who I am. So so that's why this idea of understanding each other is so important to be able to be successful in this area. Oh, man. when you bring up humanity, that is such a it, it might sound so soft, but I have seen more impact by focusing on that humanity, on that individual um, as far as being able to relate, being able to understand. Uh, we had uh, Ben McAdams, who was, uh, he, he was the congressman from the state of Utah uh, a little bit ago. Now, a Democrat in, in Utah, that's, a, that's quite a big thing. <laughs> it was interesting because the way he did it is he focused on that humanity. And being able to bridge those gaps, that, that emphasis on humanity is, you, you can't, it, it, it's, it's, it's priceless. It really is yeah. because it addresses so many dynamics. And that being said- And then, yeah. no, and then you have to focus in what we have in common and what we have that is different. And yes. when you start from those places, you figure out that we have a lot of things in common. And then there's a lot of things that are different that I want to value and, and learn about you. Mm-hmm. And, and if I come from that perspective of you know the learning approach to understanding the other, I think that it's, it's always a positive one. Why, why would I not want to know what's, you know, your, your individuality, individuality. <laughs> and, uh, and the things that makes you different and that I can engage and I can learn and, and I can, you know, have a conversation and I don't need to agree with all of them. And that's the other piece. I don't need to agree with all your positions, but I need to learn them and, um, uh, and come to the conversation with respect. Yes, 
It is so true. And, it, and I think of the old analogy of the orchestra. Everything can't be a tuba. Everything can't be a drum. It's that, it's that diversity that, mm-hmm. difference that brings it to the table. And I remember when I moved, I, I grew up in Utah. So it was very homogeneous at the time. I mean, this is the eighties. And then I moved to Hawaii. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> this is awesome. I had no yeah. idea. I didn't realize how insular I, I had lived. And then when I went to Hawaii, I thought, because I used to think, hey, all, I, I'm I'm a big I'm a big man. I don't have to I have to I don't have to play an instrument. That's just that's just something that that's not cool. A, a manly man will do. You go to Hawaii and there's these big gigantic guys that are singing like angels and they and they embrace so many different avenues from music from people to culture, and it was such an eye opener to me. And then when I go to New York, <laughs> all of a sudden it's in your face. Yeah, I loved it because all of a sudden you see every what I loved is going from Harlem um, and then going down to little Brazil and then going to Koreatown and Chinatown, little Italy. Every one of them had their distinct personalities. But what I remember so succinctly is even though they tell it like it is, it was there was that certain level of respect. And that's what that's what I loved in in this the differences. Matter of fact, it was in New York while I was traveling for Citigroup. I I, I ran into a woman, uh, and she wrote a book and didn't write it. She 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 was an author that compiled poetry from mm-hmm. kids, and it was she had one poem that she shared with me. And it was from an individual, I believe in Harlem that grew up rough and then, and he was taught the arts and in, in particular poems. And he wrote this incredible thing. And after I translated it, I thought, oh my gosh, that's heavy. And it, and it said, despite dark days, siempre verde inside. And oh, I love I, it. I, you probably know what that oh, is, right? It's always green inside. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and when I heard that, I thought, I just understood Spanish for a brief second, and that just impacted <laughs> me so deep. <laughs> and, I love and it. So yes, how do we bring that to the table? Yes, 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 yes. That's the hope. And, and it's very interesting because um, and every community, there's there's not a monolithic community, and you know we all come with, from different aspects of each of our cultures. But this idea that the, the color green is a very positive color because it's the the, gro- the color of plants, the color of our growth. So I, I got it right away when you said siempre verde. It made it a lot of sense to me. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Well, you, I you, love kind it. Of, you kind of make bring a, a good point, Marie. So there's something I want to focus on a little bit and get your get your view, Elizabeth, is, you know, it looks like one of the biggest things when I think of humanity is just exposure, is, is getting face-to-face with people that are different than you and realizing the commonalities and that type of thing. Um, I have a couple of examples. I, I've worked in a lot of different hospitals, for example. Um, recently, I worked um, for quite some time at a hospital on the, the Mexican-American border. So it's a town that's on both sides of the border. Um, that I'm working in an area right now that is predominantly very conservative, you know, white, uh, you know, that type of thing. The thing that I see, and it's interesting because 
I, I was able to see kind of both sides. So, but the commonality between the two is I see a lot of times the challenges and especially kind of these rural communities is people that come in that are different. Sometimes it's not even in your face. They just kind of get forgotten. They kind of get pushed to the side. You know what I mean? How do you, how do you deal with that? Because sometimes there's such a massive cultural change that has to go along, you know, in bringing these people together. And how do you, you know, it's like the old high school dance where all the, everyone kind of goes to their corner and hangs out, you know, how do you break that down? How do we create that footloose moment <laughs> where yeah. everybody gets on the dance floor yeah. and starts to dance? You know what I mean? So I will tell you how we do this in some corporations. And I think that it does start from the top. And I've seen that in, in companies where you have leaders that are open and vulnerable to say, I don't know. And therefore that opened everybody else to say, well, let me tell you what I think. So, so I've seen that, that um, in, in really very open and transparent cultures where you have more of, well, this is all I know, but I'm really open to listen to um, your conversation and doing that in public and being challenged on public. So, uh, so, so that's a, a thing that we can teach our kids to do that. Uh, so even if they live in a very homogeneous place, uh, they can see that they can be challenged and that they don't know everything. And that there's, a, there's the other that could be a little bit different. Um, I would say that, you know, historically, a lot of the organizations that had created that, um, and, and there has always been this conversation about when you have an employee resource group, are you separating or are you uniting? And mm -hmm. I think that in the evolution of diversity and inclusion, it, it has really changed because originally, because there were only a few people of one category, whatever that category was, you know, they needed to create that community. They needed to know, is it happening to me or is it happening to everybody? And when you go, oh, it's happening to everybody, not just, you just remove yourself from that feeling of the only one and therefore feeling excluded. So the ERGs were really a place for, you know, communities to be in a way a little bit more insular. And then we started to think about allies. Well, if I'm in a group of women, but the men that are having the power do not understand what it's my reality, we can make this change. And it's not just one group to be making the change in the organization. So the, the concept of being part of this ERG and bringing allies, other people that wanted to learn about the experience of being a Latinx, even if they were not, and understand what were the obstacles and the opportunities. And, and what we see now in the, in the communities of uh, ERGs is this idea of the intersectionality. None of us is only one thing. Yes. So if we come to this place to say, well, we're all these different things. Some days I just think, you know, of being a woman and some days I'm a working mother and some days I'm a Latinx and some days I'm, uh, you know, a generation very old. So I'm not going to call it out, <laughs> but not a Z for sure. And so, so those are, and, and that's why I think that if people come from that perspective, they realize that you know in front of them they have that person that they should be learning what is that they have in common. So sometimes it it, it seems very simple, but it's not. Uh, um, and and I agree with you. Sometimes we forget. I I find uh, interesting how some um, some religious communities are more open than others. For example, mm -hmm. where they create this idea of I see someone new. I, I need to reach out. Um, and, and you have the same thing in some cultural communities where 
Uh, you know, there's someone new. What, what are we going to do to integrate that person? Uh, and if you think about what onboarding should be in corporations are exactly that. Let me learn more about you and let you learn more about the company so you can be working in a better place. And and I had found, um, especially now that uh, we, we work um, from home, we work from what, whatever space we can find, this onboarding uh, opportunities that you have in, in an organization are so important because mm -hmm. I, I'm still talking to the people that were part of my uh, hello at Spotify, first day at work that have nothing to do with my work, but we were all there, like all looking at each other in a screen and saying, let's let's engage. So, uh, but, but it requires intentionality. So going back to what is the difference, it requires intentionality to reach out and, and to have in a way systems to ensure that, uh, and again, I, I talk mostly about organizations or, or corporations where you engage those that may be there for the first time, so. Yeah, and you did bring up that word integration. In a, in, Intersection, in, in, intersectionality. Intersectionality, yes, okay, intersectionality, yes. I love the intersectionality. Uh, and as a, especially when a person comes into the organization, they come from all types of different uh, uh, backgrounds. And what I found interesting, I, matter of fact, this was just from a talk I heard. It was a religious talk. They were talking about slopes and intersects, right? And and uh, it, it it's where the the person starts, I believe, is the intersect. I can't remember, but the way that uh, they're trained up is the slope, and the slope is what matters where you're, you're where you're going upwards or downwards. And what you're talking about here is bringing that that, that common theme where you're, you're speaking with the individuals that you spoke with on onboarding, and you're, you might have started, one might have went to Ivy League, one, one might have went to the community college, whatever. It doesn't matter where that part was. It's you're, you're, you're going upward and onward together, which is, yeah. matters. And it sounds so kumbaya-ish, but it's so powerful when, it, when it's applied in, in the, into the organization and work life yeah. uh, or externally. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm just wondering how many different uh, um, how many different backgrounds were there among amongst that uh, group that you came in with? Probably hundreds, <laughs> because it, it it is the gender, you know, and 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 it, it is the gender, including non-binary. It is, uh, you know, the the ex the life experiences, the education, the race and ethnicity. Uh, the age, uh, you know, it, it's super interesting because I was looking at the average age of Spotify is 34 years old. Oh, so this is, this is what what is what is super interesting because this new cup for me that I'm much older. It is such an exciting uh, opportunity to to look at and and see this new generation of leaders coming along. So. Uh, but, but this for me is the first time that I'm working in, in an organization that is so young from a um, from an age perspective and and so knowledgeable of things that I don't know. So for me, every meeting is an opportunity to say to one of my team members. So and always on the side because I don't want to embarrass myself too much. But uh, <laughs> but then they go like, okay, I get a lesson. I, I learn about artists that I would have never thought about. Uh, that that I could learn about. So um, so so I would I would say that if you try to cut each of us in different slices of our parts of our identity, I'm sure there were hundred different 
combinations in in that onboarding. Program. One of the things, I, yeah, one of the things I think is so exciting about you know, I'm I'm a little older as well, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it seems like the uh, the this this younger generation is is just better hardwired to they're they seem to be more accepting. They seem to be more open. They seem to actually focus on those intersectionalities that you talk about so much better than my generation did. You know, I, I see over and over in news and social media where people from my generation just continually to just keep stumbling and stumbling in that regard. So I think it's exciting to see the difference with this younger generation where they are more empathetic. They're also willing to kind of stand up for what they believe in and it's exciting. H- have you seen that? And what do you think drives that? Where did where did they learn that? Was that just a DNA thing or is that something that we did right? I, I think that we were better parents. Uh, we, we still struggle ourselves with some of our own stereotypes that we have and our shortcuts in our brains of what is right or wrong. But I think that we, we were better parents to, to our children for all the things that we may not have done well. Um, but, but, but I think that, uh, I think many of us had the opportunity, as you start saying, you know, to be exposed to different cultures and to bring that because in, in our cases will be the work environment that I had. And again, we talk about big financial services, big tech companies where you have people from everywhere. And, and if you have that open mindset to learn and then you can bring that home and you want your children to understand that there's no one way, um, I think that that's one, one of the areas. I, I do know that we have disappointed the next generation around and, and now that I'm doing so much research around climate change and they're very disappointed that we didn't take this very seriously. And, and they are, uh, but they are, they are themselves looking at new careers and new opportunities to understand uh, how to fix, you know, the, the world and the planet. Yeah. So uh, maybe we did some things today. <laughs> we did all right. We did great. <laughs> you did do great. <laughs> well, with that being said, in this new environment, what are some of the things that you believe an impactful leader should have um, or bring to the table? A good question. Um, so uh, a good leader needs to understand, needs to be able to uh, present a vision and, and present uh, the future of what the organization of the group should be doing, but also involving uh, their team members in the creation of that. So, um, so in the past, we used to think about leaders will have all the answers and we people will wait for that person to tell us. Uh, the, the evolution of leadership and, and the, the allowance of people that um, may not have as much experience but have great ideas to be able to cre- co-create with leaders is uh, one of the things that I've seen uh, successful leaders uh, do. Um, the, the other, the other thing that I've seen, you know, an impactful, um, leadership is when, um, when people look at the data, uh, and use the data to get insights and, and, and I would say that from the human resources piece is one of the interesting evolutions of the last couple of years in looking for insights from the data and then, um, inspecting the data in a way that you can revisit some of your own processes. So I would say that 
Uh, we, we in HR, but we've, I've seen that in the business for, for some time, but we in HR uh, have incorporated data analysis and insights as a way of modifying the way we do things if they're not working. Got it, got it, got it. I think that's such a hard bridge to gap as well. So you talk about data versus humanity. You know, you're taking, it's, I mean, you're taking something so concrete and something that's more of a nebulous kind of thing and trying to bring those together. That, that's got to be a massive challenge. You know what I mean? And this is why HR is is a little bit of a science and and an art. Yeah. Uh, And, and that, that's the way that we looked at, you know, my days at Amazon, I learned so many things. And one of the things that Amazon talks about is how you look at the anecdote and then you look at the data. Because sometimes the data may not tell you everything, but if you ha- hear the anecdote of a customer and you understand what happens to them, then you have to go and inspect the data to see, you know, was that a one-off or is that a trend? And I think that, that that's the way that, you know, the new uh, behavioral scientists or the new HR people are thinking about that all the time. So how do I understand the individual experience? And then I go to the data, is this happening to everybody? If it's happening to everybody, we need to change policies and practices. If it's not, I need to support that person to be sure that they are successful. So, so it it is that uh, that that two areas, you know, the the more of the soft skills and understanding the individuals, but also looking at the data to inform uh, some of the decisions that you make. I'm taking copious notes over here. <laughs> That's why you probably see my table shaking. <laughs> well, I I'm going to pivot a little bit. Because we've talked about a lot of the business uh, that you've been involved in and what you've done in, in corporations. But I, I was very, uh, th- lack of a better word, thrilled to see what you're doing as a board member on, a, on a, a number of different things. And one in particular that really struck me was the All Stars Project, Inc., and yeah. how it was performing, a performance-based approach. And when I first read a performance-based approach, I go, you're really going to put them on little skill sheets and such. <laughs> but what can you tell us? And this, it sounds like passion projects here, right? And just wonder, what can you tell us about that? And how, how has that impacted you being a part of that? Because there's a couple other networks too, an opportunity network and then the fair shake for youth. But I want to focus on that all stars project. Yeah. First. So I'll tell you a little bit of the background and how I got involved in all of them, and then I'll tell you about all projects. But <laughs> so I always believe that in education and, and, you know, and the support of communities that may have not had um, the opportunities for education. So I believe that, you know, if you invite me to be in other non-for-profits, I love dance, but I would not go. I, I would go to dance. I may not join the board of that just because my passion and my purpose is to ensure that more people have access to education. And if you think about all of this non-for-profits, they all have a different aspect. So a fair shake, it really teaches empathy uh, in middle, uh, middle age students uh, through the work with dogs. And, and that's one in, in schools where, you know, children have not have access to, uh, to some of the tools to build empathy and to build support. So that's one of the areas. Opportunity Network uh, focuses on access to college. And then what do you do from your uh, going to college, uh, 
They're all first generation of college students through the time that you're in college to the internships. Because the idea of the two founders was because they did have a network, they were coming you know, from, from a family of means and connections, they were able to get into internships and they were able to know what colleges to apply and they were able to, to get support. So that's, uh, and All Start um, came out from the, um, and, and started in New York from, the uh, understanding that uh, low-income families did not have support for after-school activities. Mm. Therefore, the kids did not have, you know, they finish school and they will come home or they will be hanging out there with no structure uh, support. So what they created was this development, uh, after-school development through the arts. Right. And that's what the performing comes from. So, so the students can do all different kinds of, of workshops and also they, they have this big, before COVID, of course, this big <laughs> performance at the end of the year. Um, you know, the organizations had expanded, started in New York. We have now um, um, support or organizations in Dallas, San Francisco, Chicago, and Newark. So it, it, is a, it is a clear need of low-income families to have after-school development, and, and that's what the All-Stars provide. So, so they all have a theme. They're, you know, the theme is education, but they all come in different areas of interest for me, and I have been involved in all of them um, on board SIT for a long time. It just why is that, why, oh, I was say, sorry, why is that no, so important? Why is that so important to you? Why, why education? Why are you... Why are you so interested in that? Yeah. Where does that come from? So nobody asked me this question before, so I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have a master's degree in educational sciences from Argentina. So I started my career as an educator and I thought that I was going to stay in education. And then, you know, I went into learning and development in a corporation and continued to develop my career in HR, talent management and diversity and inclusion. But but education seems, you know, is, is that for me is the... Um, the building block of everything that we can do. And, and it doesn't have to be education, just the academic or the college. It's just like for anything that we do, you need to learn it and, and you need to go and continue to practice and you need to continue to evolve that uh, and improve that. So, so that's why for me, education is one of those special things that we, we people can, can, uh, can have access or should have access to. Um, and, and then take that and do whatever you, you know, you want with it. That was a very revealing question because looking back at everything that you've done, at least from what I know of, uh, both from a city group and then moving onward, there were a lot of different difficulties that you've faced. <laughs> There's a lot of blockades and uh, obstacles, but knowing your love of education, Gary, that was a very insightful question because it explains a lot. It, it, it was your motivating factor to really drive whatever initiatives was because it was something that you knew people needed to understand in order to succeed. And that understanding that why, man, <laughs> that, that was, well, that was well, big. <laughs> and I will say too that, you know, I appreciate your answer, but at the same time, it's not good enough. I think we, I really do want to, I want to have another um, podcast interview with we could at some time. And I'd like to talk about 
Elizabeth as a little girl running around in Argentina and following your story from there. Because I, I could just I could just see that there's a lot behind what we're looking at right now. Oh, there's no and doubt. I, about I, it. I would hope that you know sometime in the near future that we could go down that road do. a little bit. Uh, I still some days pinch myself and said, "How did I get so lucky?" And and you know we talk about lucky being when when uh, preparation meets opportunity and sure, um, sure. and. And I, you know, in a way I, I go back and I think how I prepare for these things. I take my, my responsibilities very seriously. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I believe that, you know, there's a reason why and a purpose for me to be here and, and I'm just not going to miss any opportunity to create the change that I believe I, I can, um, I can do for others. So we have a very quiet, powerful passion. You do. It's just, uh, just amazing to me. It, it but like really I said, we, we're, we're going to delve into this Elizabeth character a little bit I more. I, I don't more. know. I don't know. You know, I'm in a, very, in a very humble, you know, so you don't talk about yourself. It's very interesting. So I grew up in, in, in this and, and I, I think it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a family thing. So, so we don't talk about um, achievements. We don't blow a horn. We don't use any of those things. So... So it's difficult for me to talk a lot about Elizabeth. Well, that's why you're, that, that's why you're going to look at the uh, the people that you're going to impact by your story as you talk about yourself. Okay, good. In good, the good. future, well, how's that? That'll that'll frame uh, it so you can okay, be okay. It's with a date. It. It's a date. <laughs> I, I have Love to it. thank you, Elizabeth, because you remind me of what I miss oftentimes is that we live in such a land of plenty that you treat preciously every opportunity that comes your way. And sometimes I know I take it for granted on a regular basis. And just to hear that and what you've been able to do with those things that come your way, it's really inspiring. It's, enough, it's an avenue that I've never seen and understood so much in you. But now with Gary asking that question, it was, it's really cool. And so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> But, but, it, but it is it is very interesting when we're talking about, you know, cultural differences. And uh, so now I, I, you know, Spotify is a Swedish company and it's it's a real Swedish culture and, and it is fantastic. And for me, what it has been fascinating this last seven months is learning about something that I didn't know. By the way, I'm taking Duolingo. I'm taking Swedish and Duolingo. I'm not progressing a lot. But, <laughs> I, I, but, but, I, but the reason why I, I did is because I just want to start to understand the structure of the language. I'm not going to be able to, to speak. But, but I, that's for me because I think that the structure of the language is how people also think. And, and then when I'm talking, when we're all of us speaking English as our second language, I can get, you know, how they're structuring even missing something. But the other thing that is fascinating is it's a very humble culture. Mm. And I, I love that because that's not, you know, where you find all corporations and, and all organizations. And this is a very humble culture that does not go out and talk about how wonderful they are. Uh, like others do. So, so it fits very well with, you know, who I am too. Uh, and, and, and had made me think about a little bit more about who I am as I'm learning about this, this organization and the culture of this organization. That's I awesome. No, the, just the, the journey of learning and the continuation of it. What, what an impactful course that is. But mm -hmm. also just seeing what you're doing for others and, and the, as a board member, but just as a person, 
Elizabeth, that's one thing that I've always appreciated about you is that you've always been a legit person. <laughs> there's, there's never, and I'm not saying this just because you're my friend. This is, this is just a testament uh, that has been reinforced by other people that have associated with you. And when I think of a, a leader that, that, um, that conveys what true inclusion looks like, it's, it's, it's definitely you. So thank you. Thank for, you. For, for well, one, one of my uh, dearest friends, well, what, one of my admins said that I can never say no. And she said, Elizabeth, you can't say yes to every person that asks you for mentorship. <laughs> I, and I would say to her, how can I say no? If there's something that that person needs and I have it, how can I say no? And she was like, because you only have 24 hours a day and you are, you know, overcommitting yourself. I, like, I understand. Maybe we do a short mentoring session. Maybe we do too. But, but again, I, I am very grateful for everything that I have achieved and, and the people that helped me through that. And I believe in paying forward. So how can I not say that? So don't say that in this podcast because I'm going to have gazillion people asking me. <laughs> we, should, we should edit this part because I'm going to have a list. And I, you know, I, for example, I feel very bad. And this is true. You know, we get all this uh, thing through LinkedIn and, and sometimes it takes me two weeks. And I always feel, would that person think that I don't care about them, that I'm not answering? And it's mostly because there's only 24 hours a day. But, uh, but, uh, but I, you know, I take the time to, to answer everybody that reaches out because I believe that they, they reach out, they need something. And my responsibility is to offer whatever I can for that. I need. love it. No, Elizabeth, I, I agree with Gary. I, I, I would love to have you uh, tell your story from, from Argentina, but more importantly, I think too, is bring someone from one of these boards that you're on and, and talk about those causes too, because I think it's just a continuation of the impact that you have by including. <laughs> we'll love that to. Work? We'll love to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I will, no, I thank you. I know, I know your time is precious, like you said, 24 hours. So we thank you for your time. <laughs> Very much so. Thank you. It was awesome. Thank Very good. Well, thank thank you for this conversation. You got me to say things that I haven't told anybody. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be an exclusive. Elizabeth tells it all. <laughs> That's the way we roll. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you for this opportunity. Yeah, take care, Elizabeth.